A life in the public eye. We've watched as Hollywood icon Matthew McConaughey performed his great transformation, beating the typecast rom-commer to become an Academy Award-winning actor and now a best-selling author. But if you ask him, McConaughey prefers to call himself a storyteller, proving it with his new memoir, Green Lights, in which he lays bare the stories and life lessons that have made him the success he is today. McConaughey's reach goes beyond the silver screen. He's invested in startups and soccer, partnered with Wild Turkey and Ford, and he's even taken on a new role as Minister of Culture for Austin, Texas. In this episode of Influencers, I'm joined by Matthew McConaughey as he shares his thoughts on life, money, and how he paved the way for green lights over the course of his career. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer, and welcome to our guest, Matthew McConaughey, Oscar uh, award-winning actor and best-selling author of Green Lights, a really cool new book. Matthew, great to see you. Good to see you, Andy. So I read the book and loved it. It's just very different, you know? I mean, there's a lot of actors who write memoirs and books about themselves, but this was sort of a different way of exploring your own self as a character and so I'm wondering, you have Matthew McConaughey, a kind of classic character over here and the traditional book industry mm-hmm. over here, right? Yeah. And then the two of them have to come together. Yes. And, I, and I wonder what that was like, how much of the book industry changed your thinking about how you were gonna do the book and how much did you say, no, I wanna do it this way? Um, 100% the second half. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I went in and was very clear with uh, um, um, my publishers and, and, and editors that look, this is what I want. This is what I think the book will be. It's it's not a t- Hollywood tell-all. I remember I wrote this down on day two when I went away to write. I said, "Look, I understand that me as Matthew McConaughey have some equity with writing. I write a book. Some people are going to go buy it, even if what's on the page isn't worth a damn. Some people are not going to buy it, even if the words on the page are great, because it's Matthew McConaughey. I understand the equity that I, my name brings into it and the platform that that inherently brings." But I remember writing down the, the second day, I was like, look, the words on this page need to be worthy uh, um, to be in a book and be shared if they are signed by anonymous. And at the same time, be words that only I could have written. So that was the place where I was going, this is not me going or writing a book of me as a celebrity. This is me writing my book. And there's some celebrity in it because I am a celebrity. Um, so it was, I was saying, it was very clear with them that that's what I, that's what I was out to write. And they were, I was very clear with them what the book would, was not going to be. Like, this is not a tell-all book. Right. This is not a book of me telling stories out of school that are not my stories to tell. Um, and I'm not going to add anything in there unless I think they can be constructive for me and hopefully others. So I saw it right here and I said, well, that's you right there. And I said, you know, I'm going to pick this thing up and read it. And then I had no idea... New York Times bestseller. Why do you think this book is resonating with so many people and why is it so popular? You know, I learned something in the writing of this um, and it had to do with the challenge that I was finding of when do I use the first person I in the storytelling, the second person you, and the third person royal we. 
Well, you got to watch it with the wheeze because you can come across as arrogant and platitudinal and like, who the hell is he speaking for all of humanity? You got to watch it with the use because then it sounds like the writer's talking at you or telling you what to do. And it gives a dislocation between me, the writer, and you, the reader. And what I found is that if I stuck to the eye, just go personal, Matthew, tell the subjective how you saw it, how you, it actually became more relatable to the royal we. So the more personal I got, the more relatable to more people it became. And I noticed that in the writing. I was like, oh, if you just stick with the eye and how it feels to you, then it's going to relate to more people. So I think that's what's happening. I think people are reading it. They're somehow seeing themselves or circumstances in their lives that are similar to mine, um, seeing where maybe they reacted and, re and had a perspective that was similar or different, um, seeing me word different tools for with which to approach certain situations that I've found gave some satisfaction that maybe they could use in their life. And I think people are finding it just plain damn funny. <laughs> it is. I was telling people, it's kind of like a true detective, you know, like that TV show that you're in a wild ride. Very much so. Yeah. Hey, so in the book, Matthew, at one point when you're taking a break from rom-coms and you're just saying, I'm going to sacrifice the here and now for uh, a better later. Right. Yep. And you said, um, as Warren Buffett said, and my, my eyes are like this because, you know, I'm a business guy. You said, as Warren Buffett says, buying straw hats in the winter. So my question is, how much do you follow Warren Buffett or know about him or do you own Berkshire Hathaway stock? I, I don't I don't follow it much. I, I have a money man, Blaine Lord, who follows it. And I think uh, I had read that quote mm, years ago, um, but I don't follow it. I don't follow it daily. Um, right. I, I do follow sort of cultural trends and try to disseminate how much uh, am I uh, from the subjective POV of what happens as an entertainer in the culture of entertainment and what, you know, how much does the entertainment and pop culture lead trends and how much does it just react to trends and things like that. And I've always been someone who has kept a, sort of a docket of my own consumer reports about products and is a product when how much do you want a product how much do you need a product how much do you does a product that any of us put out whether it's ourselves or what one we create invent or discover how much are they in demand um and and on there has to be a certain amount of demand and what what would be in demand in a time like covid comes along what's in demand in a time of a drought what's in demand in a time of great affluence um so that those are the trends that i keep my eye on Anything catching your eye right now? Well, what we're doing right now is going to be, is going to remain to some extent, the new normal. Even if we're, if the vaccine, which is coming out soon, so they say, and, and, and if that becomes successful and more people get vaccinated, there are millions of people who are going to say, no, thank you. I practiced remotely doing business and having interactions this way. I prefer it. So how does this experience become more exclusive? more uh, intimate, more customized, um, because in many ways, I myself prefer this, not with everybody, but in many ways I have. And then I have to look at my productivity, which I know many companies have looked at their productivity and some of the companies, the productivity has gone up to see how adaptable their employees can be. So, you know, uh, but then I have to look across even my industry of, of acting. What's the future of theaters? What's the future of all these communal events? What's the future of my home city of Austin, which is a big hospitality town, 
which means you got to do it hand to hand. Um, and then you know, there's a version that I see that if, of the of the world turning into uh, of go live wherever you want on the planet as long as you got 5G, <laughs> you can be anywhere. We'll see how much that's the new normal. How much now is the future? Have you talked to people in Hollywood much about how things are going to go from here and maybe starting up production or anything like that? Um, I haven't really. A lot of most of my friends are still working um, and they're telling me that it's going safely and then there's all the rules and regulations of how they do it. Um, I've been more conservative with our quarantine. I've got my 88 year old mother with us. I've got my family, uh, three children and my wife. And I'm also in a privileged position to where I don't I've saved my money where I don't have to work today to pay my rent tomorrow. So I'm in a privileged position to say I'm going to be more conservative um, with my quarantine. But I've also noticed that I've been quite productive through this. I've employed my children now to be part of my production team when we're shooting photo shoots and shooting ads. And they're starting to get adept with cameras and editing, et cetera. So who knows? I may come out of this and a couple of years ago, I've got my, I'm a one-stop shop. I've got McConaughey kids, my production team. <laughs> let's, let's, what do you want done? We'll shoot it. We'll make it. McConaughey family productions. That'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. Hey, so getting back to the book, there was a, a, a moment in there where you talked about one of your films that has a business, strong business slant. Um, and you had a part in that, which really resonated with people as well, which is The Wolf of Wall Street. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, you know, did, did that change your thinking about Wall Street or did you um, research the financial services business when you were doing that part? I mean, that was pretty epic when you just came in, did that soliloquy, right? Well, that 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 character's soliloquy was was awesome. I mean, you know, every every uh, I try to find what's called a launch pad line with every character, meaning it's a line that you read and you go, oh, if that character means this, then there's an encyclopedia I could write, and I'll make a whole rap on that character. Meaning, like in Days Confused, mm -hmm. there was a character Wooderson I played where. He's hanging out in front of the pool pool yard, checking out the high school girls going by. And his buddy says, you got to cut that out, Wooderson. You're going to end up in jail. And Wooderson goes, no, man, that's what I love about those high school girls, man. I get older and they stay the same age. Well, I remember reading that line and going, well, who the heck is that? There's a book on that guy. If that guy believes that, if he's not saying that as an attitude or to be cool or anything, if he believes that, there's a book on a person who goes through life believing that. Well, with Wolf of Wall Street, I remember reading this line where he's telling the Belfort character that Leonardo played, the secret to this business is cocaine and hookers. And I went, <laughs> I went, who is that? I go, what if this person really believes that? Well, there was a rap. So I just started writing and interviewing different brokers about how it was then. Um, and how you, you know, you, you sort of create a mirage and you just kind of keep it going. And uh, um, I wrote a lot of that rap and, and, and luckily, you know, I pitched it to Scorsese. He was all for it. And, went and just laid it down in that scene. It was a wonderful classic scene and so much fun to do. Yeah, it was an awesome part of an awesome movie too. Yeah. Let's switch uh, gears a little bit, Matthew. And I want to talk to you about some brand stuff because um, that's interesting. And it seems, you know, to sort of fit with the road that you take, which is sticking to who you are. And, you know, the Lincoln commercials and your brand ambassadorship with uh, Lincoln part of Ford, of course, has been uh, very high profile. It's been, you know, Ellen's done it, Jim Carrey, South Park. I mean, it's been all over the place, but it seems to have really worked and you seem really comfortable in those commercials. And I think Lincoln's comfortable with you. Is that the case? 
We're selling cars, we're selling automobiles, we're selling SUVs. Indeed. I mean, look, we have a, we, Lincoln and I and, and the Ford company have had a, a great relationship for, for since the beginning. Um, Hudson Rouge, the ad agency, we're still working with the same people there, uh, John Pierce over there. So myself, Lincoln, Ford, and the ad company were all very aligned in what we wanted to do. Um, and so we came out with the first ads and I was coming off of uh, True Detective. And so I riffed on a bunch of those things that I say in the car and those got parodied Saturday Night Live and Ellen. And that's like, okay, great. And some of the parodies were actually very good. Some were better than others, but I don't mind impersonation me, just be really good at it. And some of them did some damn good, damn good work. Well, that sort of got attention and eyeballs on it. And we said early on, look, there's so many loud commercials out there. All the ads are like, who can turn up the volume the most? Well, what if we make such an intentional and deliberate commercial that's so quiet that it actually cuts through the noise? And I saw it happen. I was in sports bars on Sunday afternoons with loud males and females screaming over the game. And then the ad would come on and they'd go. And their head would turn to the TV to see the ad. So it worked. And we've, we've maintained a very consistent tone where what we've gotten to is where you want to get to, I believe, is where I've become synonymous with Lincoln and Lincoln has become synonymous with, with me. So we're, we're, we're feeding each other and we continue. We just made some, just made some ads uh, here recently that we're putting out and the SUVs that are, that are, that are coming out of there are, 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 are doing well and it's helped some sales and they've got a really good product. Um, I'm especially particularly fond of that, that Navigator that I've had, which is a really, really, really good product. Was there any connection to Lincoln Lawyer? Um, not or really. Just a coincidence. It's just really a coincidence. I mean, there was a connection. I had driven a Lincoln before and had one and owned one and drove one in my own life. Um, but that was really just a coincidental callback that I'd done Lincoln Lawyer as well. Another brand you work with, which has a long, cool commercial. I mean, it's more than a commercial. It's one of these films, mini films, is Wild Turkey, which I happen to be a huge fan of. I drive Fords too, by the way, but I really like Wild Turkey, have for a very long time. So I watch that with particular interest. Mm -hmm. So, but it was very candid also. You say, hey, they want me to come down and do this. I wanted to do just more than just go, hey, buy Wild Turkey, right? Well, once again, I mean, look, for me, it was cool that these were two American companies, you know, Ford Lincoln, American company. Bourbon in general is actually an American invention. <laughs> then I go to meet the Russell family. You know, I want to I want to be in business. I'm in a time in my life where I want to be in business with people that I believe in what they do. Not that they're they're perfect, but I believe in what they do. That we have a certain we're both authentic in what we do and why we do it. Um, the wild turkey came along after I got to know the Russell family um, and their three generations and how they haven't changed when they could have changed to to maybe be more popular. But they were set in their ways and they knew they had a damn good solid bourbon in 101 and that that though it may have its fads and be more popular at other times, not that they were going to stick to it because that was a quintessential great bourbon. And after um, the, the world in America went through the white spirits time and wanted to go through bourbon lights and then came out of that going, I really want a great solid bourbon. Poof. The Russell family and Campari had plenty of one-on-one bottles to go, well, here you go. This is exactly what you're looking for. And consumers went, yes, that is what we're looking for. At the same time, uh, I, instead of, I didn't want to be just the face. 
I talked with them and shared stories. So I became the creative director with them, helping with the ad campaign. Who's our audience we have that we want to keep? Who's our audience? We, who's the new generation that we have to introduce Wild Turkey to? And then also created my own, co-created my own bourbon, Long Branch, um, with Eddie Russell, which was always a dream of mine to have my own, my own favorite bourbon on the planet, which is what we have in, the, in that bottle. That's a good thing. Hey, let me ask you about uh, some of your investments and mm -hmm. want to start off with uh, Austin FC, yep. um, your soccer team. How's that going? And are you guys on track to actually play next year? We are on track and it's going really well. You know, soccer, the game of soccer, the international sport of soccer. I'm betting on that too. I really think that's a real riser as a game in our future. We have the World Cup coming in a few years. So we're going to be at the front porch for the international game of football right here in America, in North America. Um, Austin, the perfect city for the international game of soccer. A town that's never had a pro team, a town that's only team in town is the University of Texas Longhorns. And now where Austin used to be a college town, a government town, and a music town, well, it's now a banker town, a dot-com town, a lawyer town, and an international destination. And millions of people in Austin didn't go to UT. It's a very diverse community for the most diverse game in the world, soccer. The greatest invitation in the world, as I call it, the soccer ball. We now have soccer coming to Austin. Now what we're looking forward to do is how are we going to bring Austin to soccer? Mm. Yeah, that's going to be fun to watch. Experience in our, in our backyard at our stadium, which, uh, you know, the grass got put in last week mm. on the pitch. And something about just seeing real grass being put in that stadium made it all feel a whole lot more real. And, yes, as of right now, we are still on track to, uh, to uh, kick off next season. You've seen that show Ted Lasso? You can get him to be your coach. I, I've seen the ads. I haven't seen the show. <laughs> Check it out. It'll, it'll, it's funny. Speaking of sports, Matthew, you also have a stake in The Athletic, I believe, and yes. uh, which is a sports digital sports media business. Um, media business can be kind of tough. How's that going? Did you invest in that with Peter Thiel? Did you get a chance to meet with him? How's that yes. going? It's going well, and I did, I did invest in it. And it's going, look, I'm a... I like, I like sports enough to really appreciate an A-plus perspective on sports. Um, I don't mind the B-minus, the, the, the sort of the everyman, the sort of half sports fan knowledge, but I, I like A-plus sports knowledge, but I don't really like it all in straight metrics. I like a good story told, and they have really great writers over there, and I'm a storyteller. They tell a good story. Um, they're not out to get the athlete. They're in the talk about the story and the athletics and the, all the different mechanisms that go into sports from the business side to the personal side, to the player's right side, to the love of the game. They cover all of those. And so once again, this was another product that I go, I partake of this product. I drive a Lincoln, I drink wild turkey. I like soccer. I, you know, I like great sports writing. Oh, I'd love to. It's more authentic if I can get into something that on my proverbial Monday morning desk, when I have work to do or to go or something, I look forward to that work. So all these entities you're talking about in my investments are things that I look forward to dealing with on my proverbial Monday morning at my office desk. Did you get a chance to meet with Peter Thiel and talk to him about it? I mentioned him. Yes. Um, in the, uh, when did we talk? We talked on, we hadn't talked in person because this all happened, I believe, since COVID. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. what I read, right? Yeah. So you guys chatted about it a little bit. Yeah, about 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 things I just told you. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, last investment I want to ask you about that I know about is um, something that really interested me, this forward, forward company, which is a high tech membership only health facility. Yes. And of course, everyone says, wow, it's just like Dallas Buyers Club because right. it's a monthly membership. But it, but it is a monthly membership. And, and again, I guess that's just a coincidence, too. Or I mean, that is there any connection to- between that? No, that there's no there's no real connection between that. That was brought to me as an opportunity from a friend of mine who's an investor, Gaio Siri, um, and uh, the concept of and this was years ago I invested in this hmm. that people would be able to sort of self maintain their health and communicate with their doctor uh, remotely. Um, well, something I was like, that sounds evolutionary. That sounds like that could be a real, not more, that sounds like that could be more than a convenience. That could be a need. That could be more than just a luxury. That could be something that could be good for a lot of people who, who, who were not as privileged as others to have that capacity and immediate response with their doctor through uh, a, a remote device. Um, so that just sounded to me uh, as, a, as, a, as a really good idea for the future. And my understanding is you've got other investors like Ashton Kutcher, Bono, and The Edge. Have you have you met with them and talked to them about it at all? No, no, I haven't talked to them really about it. Just mainly mainly Guy and, and Ashton. Okay. Yeah, I think the guy, the CEO and founder, was the guy who was running artificial intelligence at Google. Sounds like kind of a brainiac. Adrian. Adrian. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Impressive sounding guy. Any other investments that uh, I'm, I'm missing here that uh, you want to share with us? Um, the only other investment is a category that I'm creating now, which is called is my Minister of Culture role. I'm right. working at the University that. of Texas at Austin and in the city of Austin. I'm working on a shared and competent values campaign that uh, will sell a city to itself, the best assets of the city. In my particular case, the, uh, the Petri dish will be Austin, um, sell Austin to Austinites. Um, let newcomers know, you know, educate them and, and, and let them know, initiate them to who we are and who we're not. Um, I think values are what need to be shared right now, not only across cities and universities, but also across businesses where, um, you know, taking the B Corp model of uh, purpose and people and profit, um, that there's a tithe to pay for a great city that we live in like Austin and we need to be giving back to it because we wanna preserve what we love about it so much and also believe values are what's going to bind the social contracts between people again, especially now in a time of such great distrust that we have in each other, where we don't know what our leaders are about. We don't know who to believe in. we got to bind the social contracts with each other again. And we can do that personally across cities, across institutions, and across businesses. Yeah, amen to that. I mean, I was going to ask, and I'll follow up a little bit. I mean, you know, if you think about Austin and say, armadillo world headquarters right and going back to those days where famously you know the hippies would sit with the cowboys that was sort of the whole part of that cultural thing going on there and we really lost that in this country and you know you're someone who i see can really bridge that that divide but i want to ask you you know a lot of people point fingers at income and and wealth inequality number one and then number two social media Mm-hmm. And, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on both of those, Matthew. Well, so the first one, your question is my thoughts on income and wealth inequality, the, in, the gaps, the, the wealth yeah. gaps in this country. Yeah, well, you know, it sure seems like 
a lot of times when we break down the differences between us by the our sex or color of skin or what have you, boy, everything seems to the real the real pot or the real place that everything sort of finds its waterline is in that is our socioeconomic level. Um, you know, especially in, in, in America, the capitalist society, my money's still king, you know, you get, you get, you need it to get what you want. It's what we tell. It's what America tells, uh, um, our children and ourselves, what to be successful is money and fame. Um, I think, you know, we need to not necessarily have those always at the top. And also, I think what I mean by that is I'm all for making money. I have good money. I'm all for fame. I'm happy to be famous. But I'm inspired by looking at people like a John Mackey with Whole Foods or a Mark Benioff with Salesforce that go, hey, I have an idea that's really good to do, even if it was for nonprofit. But let's make profit off of it. So what are those things that we can ask ourselves? Hey, no, I want to sell this. I want to make, I want to make money off of this. I want to get rich off of this. And how could it also be... Can we parlay that to being something like, oh, and it's good for the most amount of people. Those two are interchangeable and they don't have to be a contradiction. And I hope that more of us um, invest in those kind of things because you can make a really good living, a for-profit living with a nonprofit idea. Hmm. Um, and your second half of your question was social, social media? media. Yeah. yeah. What's, your, what's your take on that these days? I think it's a great tool. And look, I just got on Instagram, I think a, a year ago, hmm. my communication and that platform for me to share parts of myself out with have already been good for me valuably because I'm going to have a direct line of communication and it's not through someone else's filter it's a direct line. Um, at the same time, uh, it's been good for my business. You know, um, people check now. I didn't know this until I got on IG. Before you do a certain job, they go, well, let, let me check how many followers you have. Those followers matter even for, for business, for advertisers and things like that. What the scary part is that we have to really watch is for the first time in our lives, we, especially children and millennials, are getting their entire sense of self based on something they put, a picture, a phrase, something that they poof, send out to the world. And they anxiously wait to see what all these strangers are gonna say about it. Mm. And if the thumbs come back up, I'm gonna have a great day. Look at me, I'm popular. If the thumbs come back down, I drop into a depression. Well, that's not healthy. And where's the responsibility lie? I mean, one, it lies with us parents of our children to say, hey, make sure you're not getting your, all, your sense of wealth and identity and significance based on just approval or disapproval of the rest of the world. Because understand that there's a lot of folks out there that are putting the thumb down or writing something negative and they didn't even read or look at what you wrote. All right, so where, where again, where are we allotting uh, value and where are we allotting what our kids do? I always say this, kiddos, millennials, all of us, that thing you type in there, that comment, what you say, it's gonna outlive you. It's gonna outlive all of us. So think about it before you press send and before you write it. And also this, it's short money, short money to think that to put you down raises me up. Hmm. It doesn't. We can, we can come together as a country again, Matthew? I know we can, but we're not gonna, we're, here's what I think we have to also watch. We're not gonna become a kumbaya. There's not going to be perfect justice across society. We're not going to have a utopia. 
And I think that it's irrational to think that we are. I think it's actually arrogant sometimes to think that this species, and you look at, we could go into the, the nominations, who voted what and where. We are evolving, but all, we're never going to be our best. We're not going to get there. And I think that's the point. If we could just do a little bit better, have a small ascension to the quality of our lives and who we are and how we treat ourselves and others in it, then there's a small ascension in our life and in society and in America. America is an aspiration, constantly chasing yet. But we got to realize we ain't never going to get to yet. But that's the point. Trying to get a little bit better is as good as it gets. So join the party in, in trying to be a little bit better and chasing yet. My last question, and the only place to go from there, has got to be UT football. And I'm just wondering, you know, is that back? Are you on board? How's the team looking, the schedule, all that? Well, I'm on board. I'm always on board, no matter what state we're in uh, or what our record is. I'm on board. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a uh, uh, coattail chaser by any means. I'm, I'm a Longhorn fan. Um, no, matter, no matter if we just got beat 46 to 3, there we go. You know, by, by UCLA 10 years ago or whether we just won the Big 12 or the national championship. Um, so I'm on board. Are we where we want to be? Not yet. But we're on our way. Um, you come to UT, you are expected to compete for national championships in that sport, especially of football, which is our front porch. Um we're not doing that right now. I do believe we're on our way. Yes, we have some great athletes. You know, you got this, you know, new challenge today is one of the things we were just talking about, social media. And the, 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 the 18 to 22-year-old student playing in the proverbial third person, you know, running down the side, looking at the Jumatron. How do I look? Well, we do that a lot. We do, you know taking the selfie while you're still on the 50 running for the touchdown because immediately you're getting response on your game and you're finding out how people feel about it and you're object you're getting objective of your situation kind of hopping out yourself looking at yourself texas football is going to be going to going it's really going to help us get to the heights we need to in this time to forget about that we have that spotlight on us we'll find that out let to, again i said this the other day in an interview Play every single play, every single quarter, every half, every game. When the fourth quarter's over, be running down to the other end ready for the fifth quarter because you think it's the fourth and have the coaches tell you, no, 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 game's over, we won. And if you do that, if you're almost that unconscious that the game's even over, if you have, you, you have your proverbial goal line so far ahead of you, your finish line, you're usually going to look up on the scoreboard and see you won. So it's play more in the first person, be more present. Understand that there's no auditions when you come to University of Texas. It's on. It's live. Step up. Let's grow. All right. We're going to leave it there. Matthew McConaughey, actor and author of Green Lights. Thank you so much for joining us. And enjoyed that very much. You've been watching Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Influencers. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Yahoo Finance on Twitter at Yahoo Finance and at Surwer.